Now, it's no surprise at all that once the work of rebuilding had commenced and seemed to be advancing, that once again, Sanballat should make an appearance. When Sanballat and his companion Tobiah first heard that somebody had come to seek the welfare of the Israelites, we read that in chapter 2 and verse 10, they were displeased and disturbed. But now that the work was actually underway and was being supported by many of the people, this displeasure was replaced by anger. Now Sanballat became furious and very angry. Now he had already used derision and mockery to try to prevent the work getting started. We saw that in chapter 2 and verse 19. And now he intensifies his mockery and he seeks to get others to join him in his opposition. We see that in verse 2 of, uh, of chapter 4. He said in the presence of his brothers and the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? And so on. So the first thing that we see here is the work mocked. The work mocked. And the whole purpose of the attacks of Sanballat was to discourage Nehemiah and when that did not work, to make fun of the work that the people were doing. And the purpose of this was to make them disheartened. And this is a classic tactic of the devil as he seeks to disrupt the work of the gospel. Many of God's people, and I speak for ourselves, will never have to suffer persecution or physical violence, but anybody who seeks to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and to serve him will be subject to demeaning comments and mockery. <clears throat> Think of it like this. Their intelligence will be questioned if they uphold the biblical teaching on creation. If we say that God made the heavens and the earth in six days and all very good, they will laugh at us. They will call us stupid, uneducated, because we haven't come to terms with the wonders of evolution. They will accuse us of rejecting scientific thought because we believe what God's word tells us. Our compassion will be denied if we maintain biblical views of human sexuality. I came across something just yesterday about a Finnish politician 
It was a lady who had been the interior minister of Finland. In other words, someone like our Home Secretary. She's going back to court later this month because of a four-year legal battle that she has had. And the reason for her being in court is this. She says, it was four years ago in June 2019 when I posted a Twitter post and also to Facebook and it was about the Pride event that was going on and the main church, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, of which she is a member, decided to support it officially. She said, it was a shock to me, and as a member of that church, I asked the leadership of my church, how is it possible that you are supporting something as a matter of pride that the Bible calls shame and sin? And she enclosed with her tweet and with her Facebook comment, a couple of verses from the book of Romans. There was a criminal complaint made against her. She was arrested and she was questioned by the police for 13 hours and she was asked to explain what these verses in the Bible meant. The prosecutor then brought a case against her for um, for inciting against sexual minority. The case came to court. She was acquitted by three judges, but when she was acquitted, the prosecutor then said he would take the case to a higher court and she is to, be, to face a court appearance again on August the 31st of this year. Simply for quoting verses from the Bible. And this happened in Finland. If it happened in Finland, it can happen here. As she herself said, Finland was based upon the scriptures. And now you can be charged for quoting the Bible. So when Christians maintain biblical views of human sexuality, their compassion will be denied, they will be called, uh, they will be accused of hate speech, their love will be abused if they proclaim that salvation is to be found in Christ alone. If we teach that there is no other name given amongst men whereby you must be saved, we'll be called bigots, narrow-minded, 
What about all the other religions? The work of God is mocked as it was here in Nehemiah's time. And it is important for Christians to prepare themselves for insult and mockery. Most people like to be liked. It's not easy when people, when you think that people despise you or think that you are stupid simply because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never forget that this is a method that Satan uses to undermine and disrupt the work of God. There is, of course, a positive side. If you are being abused because of your stand for Christ, it means that you're being effective. If you're not being effective, then the devil doesn't bother with you because you're not having any impact at all upon his kingdom. Now, the attacks that came from Sanballat and Tobiah could have been very discouraging for the builders. The task they had set themselves was immense and they must at times have questioned their own ability to finish the project. And the purpose of these detractors was to focus attention on that. Like many of the attacks of the evil, evil one, there were elements of truth in what they were saying. What were they saying? Three things. First of all, they were described as being feeble. And that, of course, was nothing but the truth. They had returned from exile a relatively short time previously. They had no great influence or power. And even with regard to the building project, they were not professional builders. We saw last week there were perfumers and merchants and goldsmiths, ordinary people. They were feeble. But we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that is the glory of the work of God. God does not use the great and the mighty. He doesn't use necessarily the super intelligent and clever. He uses ordinary people. He uses ordinary men and women like you and me. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. Not because he has no other option, but because he chooses to do so. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says. God chooses the weak and the feeble to carry out his work. People like you and me. They were accused of having unrealistic expectations. 
the mention of sacrifice and finishing the work in a day is a mocking suggestion that somehow they were going to offer sacrifices and that they would expect that God would miraculously restore the walls for them. Of course, this was never Nehemiah's intention. This was never mentioned by Nehemiah, neither was it in his mind. And perhaps the idea here was that it would demonstrate to the builders the immensity and the almost impossibility of the task, and that would then discourage them. You're too weak and feeble to do this work. Do you think God is suddenly going to raise up the walls for you? You can't do it. You're not capable. You're not builders. You don't know how to do it. And the whole idea was to try and discourage the builders. And they were also accused of vanity. They were, chapter, two, chapter 4 and verse 2, they were restoring it for themselves. It was their stone wall. Verse 3. The enemy attempted to make them forget that what they were doing was for God's glory and at his command. They could not prevent the work because God had the king's permission. All they could do was to so discourage the builders that they would stop. And such is the work of Satan. To discourage believers by pointing out their weakness, suggesting that the task is too great for them, and making them take their eyes of the Lord. Do you think the devil doesn't try to discourage us from evangelism? It's too hard. The people don't want to know. You can't do it. You're not qualified. You don't have enough knowledge. All these things are brought before God's people just as they were in the time of Nehemiah. The second thing that we see here is the response to the mockery. Although the attacks of Sanballat and Tobiah were undoubtedly disappointing and discouraging for Nehemiah and the people, the response to the attacks is very interesting and illuminating. Now, let's see first of all what Nehemiah did not do. He didn't call for the leaders of the people, bring them all together, and to see what could be done to counteract this threat. Nor did he seek to answer the criticism that was made. His immediate response, as we've seen before, his immediate response 
was to call upon God in prayer. For Nehemiah, prayer was the first response, not the last. For us sometimes, I think prayer is resorted to when nothing else works. For Nehemiah, prayer was the first option and not the last. He called upon God to take note of the reproach that they were suffering. Verse 4. Nehemiah was aware that God was concerned about his people and that the work they were doing was for God's glory and with God's blessing. If we go out to evangelize, why do we do it? Because we want to see the church building filled? Why do we speak to men and women about Christ? Surely it's because we have been commanded to do so. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is God's command to us. It is God's will. It is God's purpose. It's God's desire for his people. And if we understand that, if we understand that this is God's work, we would be like Nehemiah. Nehemiah called upon God to take note of the reproach they were suffering. He was saying to God, look, we are doing your work. This is what you want us to do. Lord, take note of what they're saying. Take note of what they're trying to do. Because it was not Nehemiah's work that they were criticizing. It was God's work. And it's important for us as believers to understand that God is not distant from our daily lives, our daily struggles, and that it's quite legitimate for us to call upon God to witness our suffering, our trials, and our tribulations. We see that constantly in the scripture. But not only did he call upon God to take note of their reproach, he called upon God to fight for them. Verses 4b and 5. Nehemiah was not going to be distracted from the work that he was doing in order to deal with these opponents. He rather committed the whole matter to God for him to deal with in his own way. And there's a lesson there, isn't there? Sometimes in our praying, we're very specific about what we want God to do and how we want God to do it. Nehemiah didn't. Nehemiah committed the work to God. And it was though he was saying, Lord, deal with them in whatever way it pleases you to do so. Now, Nehemiah may have considered that it would have been just 
punishment for his enemies to be plundered in a land of captivity, which is what he says. But he is quite content to leave the means of dealing with them in the hands of God. And we'll see later on how God answered this prayer. And then I think the third thing that we see in Nehemiah's prayer is perhaps the most important. He called upon God to vindicate his own cause. Chapter five, verse 5b. By seeking to demoralize the builders, Sanballat and Tobiah had provoked God. Nehemiah was fully aware that the work was not his, but God's. And any opposition to the work was seeking to undermine and resist the Lord and undermine the work of his kingdom. In these circumstances, surely, it is quite proper for the people of God to pray against those who oppose them, that their wickedness might be restrained. You see, Nehemiah had a high view. This was God's work. And what these people are doing is opposing God. And he was concerned for the honor and glory of God. Not for his own well-being, not for his own status, but for the glory of God. This is God's work. And these people are trying to undermine it and resist the work of the kingdom. And so he prays for God to deal with it. Thirdly, the result of the mockery. The result of the prayer of Nehemiah was not perhaps what he had first of all wanted. He wanted these enemies to be dealt with. But the reason for wanting his enemies to be dealt with was so that the work would be able to continue. So God answers his prayer, but he answers his prayer in a different way. So we built the wall, for the people had a mind to work. So God answered Nehemiah's prayer by giving the people a mind to work. The whole purpose of the mockery of Sanballat was to discourage the builders and to get them to stop the work. But the commitment of the cause to God enabled the builders to disregard this opposition and continue with the building. So we built the wall, for the people had a mind to work. And God answered the prayer of Nehemiah by giving the people a mind to work. A commentator called David Guzik says this, A mind to work is a gift from God, and no significant job will ever be accomplished 
until people come together with a mind to work. Now, it's interesting to note that Nehemiah's prayer had no effect whatsoever on those who were opposing the work. As we shall see later on, uh, and later on tonight, they continued and intensified their opposition. Nehemiah had prayed that God would deal with their enemies, but God answered the prayer by giving the people the desire to continue with the work in spite of the opposition that was coming their way. God often answers prayer in unexpected ways. Not as we wish, but what he sees is best for us and for the work of the kingdom. Undoubtedly, the builders would have preferred God to have struck down those who were seeking to hinder the work. But God wanted them to know that he could enable them to work, to complete the work in the face of their enemies. You see, God doesn't always remove opposition, but he enables his people to continue to work and to witness in spite of the persecution, in spite of the opposition. The work was progressing well. The whole perimeter wall had been almost completed to half the height that was required. They had done tremendously well, but the work was only half done. It's one thing to begin a work for God, but it's far more important to carry on the work until it's completed. How much work for God do we see begun well and then the people lose interest or lose heart or lose commitment and the work is not completed? The Lord Jesus Christ spoke about this when he talked about the need to count the cost. To count the cost not just of beginning the work, but of carrying it through to the end. When the enemies of the building project realized that their mockery and abuse had not stopped the building, they quite naturally became very angry. The opposition was now not just centered on Sanballat and Tobiah. Verse 7 makes it clear that the builders were surrounded by their enemies. Sanballat and the Samaritans to the north, the Arabs to the south, the Ammonites to the east, and the Ashtonites to the west. 
So here you had the builders in Jerusalem and from north, south, east and west their enemies were congregating. All these people now formed a confederacy with the purpose of disrupting the building work. The threat to the work was now more serious. It had moved from ridicule to a plan to physically attack Jerusalem with the purpose of creating confusion amongst the builders. We'll have a look at that tonight. Although there was a plan to attack, at this time it was nothing more than a threat. There was no actual action taken. No doubt they hoped that the threat alone would be sufficient to stop the work. And this is often how the devil works, as he seeks to undermine the work of the gospel. Sometimes the fear of action or persecution is sufficient, even if nothing actually happens. See, at the moment, they heard that there was this confederation that were planning to attack them, but nothing had actually happened yet. And the opponents of the work wanted to cause a disturbance in the city, setting one builder against another. If confusion could be sown amongst the builders, some taking the threats more seriously than others and deciding to withdraw from the work, the progress of the work would be halted. We look at this this evening. There were, there were some people who were engaged in the building work, but their homes were outside the city walls and they wanted to return. They said, what will happen to my home and my family if these attacks come? If this confederation of people from north, south, east and west, what happens if they come up against our people? Who's going to defend my wife and my family? What's going to happen to my land? And so there was this confusion being sown amongst the people. And it is ever the work of the devil. If he can get believers to be at odds with one another... He has gone a long way in undermining the work of the kingdom. Unity and commonality of purpose are tremendously important in the work of God. It is when the people of God focus their minds on the task that God has given them, trusting in his promises and his protection and not allowing themselves to be distracted that great things are done for God. It's true on a large scale. It's true in a congregation. If there's work for God being done, and there are some people who don't agree with it, and they complain about it, and they criticize it, 
then the work will not continue. And that's what happened with some of the people. And in the will of God tonight, we'll have a look at how this played out in the life of Nehemiah and the builders. May God enable us ever to be faithful and resist whatever attacks the devil comes up with. <clears throat>